might help. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm a compulsive overeater. John, thank you for asking me to come and um, share, and um, congratulations to all the chip takers, and welcome to the newcomers, and happy birthday to the birthday person. I have pictures, so I'll close around. Um, just to qualify real quick, I've been abstaining um, through the grace of God for a little over 10 years and maintaining a 100-pound weight loss. So I'm really grateful. Anyway, so um, since I have so much time, I guess I'll give you the long version. So um, what it was like, what it was like, well, you can see my pictures. That's what it was like. But um, uh, let's see. I um, was always a compulsive overeater from my earliest memory. Um, I just have to say it's good to be here. Last time I was here, I had just been to Cuba. Um, and that was a really emotional time for me. So anyway, so I just just remembered that. But anyway, so um, back to my story. So I am uh, have always been a compulsive overeater, and um, um, my earliest memory of compulsive overeating was uh, I was about four or five years old. Well, I guess five. I was in kindergarten, and um, I remember uh, living for the, well, I grew up in the 50s, so, you know, my they give you a nickel, and then you bite your milk, and then the mother, every day a different mother brought a treat. And I remember being completely obsessed with the treat, what the treat was going to be every day. And the only thing I didn't like that had anything to do with sugar, because I was a total, full-on sugar addict from my earliest memory. That's all I wanted to eat was sugar. And so I re- were coconut. I didn't like coconut. So I don't know if you remember those hostess snowballs. And that was the only thing I hated. My, my sister loved them. I hated those. Anyway, so I remember one day a mother bringing pink, you know, snowballs. And being devastated, you know what I mean? <laughs> devastated that I wasn't going to get the treat that day because I hated it, you know, and like it, it, my day being ruined, you know, and that was at five years old. So I don't know how I got that way. I don't, it doesn't, and the great thing is, the great thing, the thing I love the most about 12 Steps programs at Overeaters Anonymous is that it didn't matter. It doesn't matter why I did it. I didn't have to figure it out because what I did my whole life was spend my life trying to figure it out. Trying to, and I got here and they said, don't try and figure anything out. Your job is not to figure anything out. So today I don't have to figure anything out, and I'm so grateful for that. You know, but I spent a lot of years in therapy, and you know, because I thought if I just figure it out, then I can stop it. And, of course, you know, of course, self-knowledge avails us nothing. And I never did figure out why. I don't know why. I, um, my parents were not compulsive overeaters, but my father was an alcoholic, but a very functional alcoholic. My mother uh, stayed home, and she cooked three meals a day and had healthy food in the house, and I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, I all I wanted was the sugar. And so my parents... Um, uh, 
were born in Cuba, and so we always had, they always had the coffee on the, you know, the cafe, the Cuban coffee on the tables, the, the you know, thermoses, and the sugar bowl, you know, was always on the table. So I was always eating sugar out of the sugar bowl, and, you know, sugar in any form I could get it, you know, and how I could get more than anybody else, and, um, and more than my sister especially, and, you know, um, and so, and so, um, that's all it was, you know, just all about, getting more. And I would eat till I made myself physically ill, not on purpose. I've never been bulimic, but I would eat, just eat and eat until I would get physically ill. And um, that happened over and over again. Um, one kind of cookie I remember I got sick on, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or eight, and I couldn't eat those cookies again for years, but, you know, I've eaten every other kind of cookie, but, <laughs> but that one kind of cookie. Anyway, so, um, but that was it. I was just, um, it was just a way, I don't know, I don't know. Like I said, my parents weren't compulsive overeaters, so it was a real war with um, them, you know, trying to get me regular food, and, and I didn't want to, and I, you know, just, like I said, uh, it was the battle, and they'd threaten me, and they'd say, you're going to become anemic if you don't eat, and they're going to give you a big shot, and, you know, all that every day, and, um, you know, that didn't matter. Anyway, so, um, so it was just how I got through life, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't know how I got that way. I was just born with that hole in my gut and trying to fill that hole up, you know, and the first thing I tried to fill it up with was food. Later on, I found other things to fill it up with, you know. And still some days I'm looking for other things to fill it up with, you know. And um, anyway, so um, so that just progressed, you know. Um, they threatened me, though. And, um, you know, I remember one time we went... Um, to my parents' friend's house, and they were Cuban, too, and so they were fixed, and the one thing I hated, too, was I had these weird things that I didn't like, and, um, like, I, my food couldn't be touching, you know, so I had weird little things around the food, and so, you know, black, they were having black beans and rice, so that's all about the food touching, you know what I mean, and so, um, and my parent, and my mother knew I wasn't going to eat, right, so she threatened me, and she said, and the father was a doctor, and she said, if you don't eat, he's going to give you a big shot, and the only thing I was terrified of, well, not the only thing, one of the things was shot, so, um, and I remember I did, of course, I couldn't eat it because it was, you know, black beans and rice and it was all touching. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, being terrified, waiting for him any minute to come and give me a shot. But um, anyway, so it just progressed. Everything was about the food. And uh, like I said, how I was going to get it when I go to the movies, you know, I remember my mother would give me a certain amount of money as a kid and, and I'd scrutinize you know, everything in the candy counter to see what was going to last me the longest. You know what I mean? And so um, so I get that, eat it, and then I was ready to go home. I remember thinking, now i got to sit through a whole movie, <laughs> nothing to eat, and just watch the movie. And, you know, thinking, you know, just wanting to go home so I could eat some more, you know. But, yeah, it was, it was just all about the food. So, um so that just progressed, and um, 
Um, and then as a teenager, you know, I uh, was, you know, just kept eating more and more. I started drinking. I'm also a recovering alcoholic, and so I started drinking at 14. And so, um, so then I had that too to help, you know. But um, but I would eat so much, and I was a skinny kid. Because I think, you know, my parents still had a lot of control over how much I ate. And I was tall, so I was growing. And, you know, I think that had something to do with it. And, you know, being an active teenager, I don't know what it was. But um, but I would just binge. Um, I was, like, notorious among my friends how much food I ate. You know, I was just always binging. And they'd say, Guy, I can't believe how, how much you eat and you're so skinny. And I remember like the terror when somebody would say that because I knew even then that I was never going to stop. I would never be able to stop eating that way, you know. And and I knew someday I was going to get fat and I was never going to be able to go on a diet. I knew it, you know. Anyway, so so like I said, I just, just kept, you know, binging. It was really out of control. And, um, and um, oh, I'd, like, go on dates and binge. And I remember one time I, I went on a date. Um, I went on a date, you know, of course, to drive in, of course, lying to my parents all the time because that's what I did because, you know, I wasn't supposed to go to drive in. And, and I remember my boyfriend went and got a pizza, you know, all the stuff you get at the drive-in, right? He got a pizza. And, you know, candy and popcorn and then, of course, had beer, you know. So, uh, so you know, that was great. So I remember he went to the snack bar and he came back and handed me the food and he said, I'll be right back. I'm going to the bathroom. And so in the, before he came back from the bathroom, I had eaten the whole pizza. And, and then all of a sudden I went... You know, he's going to come back and want some pizza. So he came back and he said, where's the pizza? And I said, I ate it. And he goes, no, really, where's the pizza? But, you know, and then I'm sure I proceeded to eat the re- most of the rest of the stuff and most of the beer. You know what I mean? So, um, so anyway, that was my idea of a good time. But, you know, that's how I had it. That was, that was how I functioned. You know, because when I ate and then drank, I had that immediate sense of ease and comfort Mm -hmm. that it talks about in the big book. Because without it, I didn't have that. I was felt like a freak. I felt like, and you know, I can still remember that feeling in in my own skin, that total discomfort, that terrible feeling. I felt ugly, stupid, less than. Wrong, just wrong. I just felt wrong, and I don't know why or how it happened. But and I remember other girls in school seeing other girls that were so poised and comfortable in their own skin, and girls that could get up and speak in front of the whole school. Forget just the class. And I remember looking at them and thinking, how did they get that? Like, how are they like that? And because I knew how I was, and I couldn't do that stuff in a million years. I just felt wrong. I felt wrong, and um, 
yeah, I just didn't understand. And so for me, and, and you know, looking back, I do remember most of those girls, and a lot of them had that contact with God. They did have a connection with God, you know. A lot of them were, you know, active in their churches or whatever, and I didn't have that. And it wasn't that I didn't believe in God because, well, I was raised Catholic, and I'm not one of those people that are angry at the Catholic Church. I think it's a perfectly good religion, and it helps a lot of people. But, And I like the nuns. You know, it's contrary to most people's experience. I, I really liked them, and they were very nice to me. and Because um, I could be their pet, because I was such a phony. You know what I mean? On the outside, make it look all sweet and innocent, and on the inside, something else was going on. But... Um, but anyway, so, um, <laughs> but, um, but I didn't have a personal relationship with God. I didn't feel how God was going to work in my life, you know. Um, so I never had that. I wanted it. I remember wanting it. Um, and I do like what the nuns would tell us to do. I remember around Lent they'd tell us, like, you know, how to make Lent. Uh, like during Lent, how to, I can't remember, you know, just really try to make it a real spiritual experience. And I remember trying, doing what they told me, and I just couldn't feel it. You know, I just didn't have that, any God, really, at all in my life. So, um, so, you know, so for me, God was, you know, the food and the alcohol. So, um, so anyway, uh, so my, my, this is very Freudian. My father died when I was 18, and then, um, and then I married a man 15 years older a year later when I was 19. And so, of course, I didn't want to have to grow up. You know, I thought, okay, I'll marry him, and then I don't have to grow up. You know, he's going to take care of me, and then, you know, I'll live happily ever after. Because I really wanted to live happily ever after, you know. But um, I did. And, but, you know, I, I was so sick. And so anyway, so, uh, and, you know, and then he thought he was getting some sweet girl. And here I was, you know, uh, alcoholic, living on Valium. I couldn't live, leave my house without being filled up with Valium and a bottle of Valium in my purse. It was, you know, bad. And then eating, binging. And the kind of the irony is that, you know, and I weighed then less than I weigh now, and I thought I was fat. You know, I just, you know what, I was just never going to be right, no matter what I weighed. Uh, I wasn't going to be right. I just felt, like I said, wrong. And um, so, anyway, so he had the greatest aversion of any person I've ever known to any degree of body fat of any human being I've ever known. So who's he end up with, you know? Uh, A budding compulsive overeater that hadn't exploded yet, you know what I mean? So so we got married, and, you know, I was whining about the... uh, weight, you know, I'm fat, I'm fat, and he'd said, like, you know, somebody who would be a normal person, well, if you think you're fat, why don't you go on a diet, you know. Anyway, so um, so I did, so I went on my, well, first I tried, you know, pills and all that, and then, um, then I tried that. I don't remember what it is, but it's that pregnant women's urine shots diet, uh, and it was like 1970. One or 72, I guess, and um, back then, and then, um, 
So I went on that, and of course it was expensive, and you only ate 500 calories a day, and then you got these shots. Well, you know, you don't need an expensive shot to lose weight on 500 calories a day. So anyway, so that's what I did, and I lost probably around 20 pounds and kept that weight, and this is... this isn't an exaggeration for an afternoon. Mm-hmm. I did because, well, what happened was I got very sick, so I had to go off of it, of course, eating 500 calories a day. So I got sick, so I had to go off it. And then, of course, the minute I went off of it, I started binging, you know, of course. And then, of course, the insanity is that what we think, you know, we're, I, I was going to go on a diet, lose the weight, and then I was going to go back to eating how I ate, and the weight was going to stay off. And I really believed that, obviously, you know what I mean? So that's what I did. Then, um, And then that started the cycle that we all know, you know, that going on the next diet, gaining all the weight plus 10 pounds, and then going on the next diet, you know. So... That's what I did, and then when I was about 24, I got pregnant. I gained, like, it was a free-for-all. My girlfriend's pregnant now, and she's gained, what did she say, 24 pounds, and she's seven months pregnant. And I gained, I wasn't even, I didn't even go to nine months. I was only, had delivered eight, eight months, and I gained 65 pounds. And she weighed six pounds, ten ounces, my daughter. (laughs) So, yeah, it was just like I said, a free-for-all. And then that was the only time that my ex-husband didn't give me a bad time about my food. You know what I mean? Because I was pregnant. So it was just all-out free-for-all. So, um, so anyway, so I, um, so, like I said, it just continued on and on. And then, finally, I did hear about Overeaters Anonymous in the 70s. I don't remember what year it was, like maybe 78 or something. Maybe before then. I can't recall. But I remember it was a friend of my sister's who was telling me, who was talking about Overeaters Anonymous. And her mother went, and she said it was free. And I remember thinking, well, then that doesn't work. That's, you know, that's not going to work because it's free. If something free worked, everybody would be thin, right? <laughs> Nobody would be fat. There wouldn't be fat people. That was my thinking. So it had to be expensive. Otherwise, it didn't work. So anyway, finally, I did go to OA around 1980, I think it was. And I went... And for two years, I didn't eat sugar. And that was the only time in my whole adult life, before 10 years ago when I came, that I didn't eat sugar. And it was the only time that I maintained a weight for two years. That was like a miracle. But I did ask somebody to sponsor me, but um, I didn't really do anything, you know. I think I might have called her for 30 days. And then I never, and, but I didn't work the steps, you know I had the big book, but all I remember was reading, War Fever Rang High in a Small New England Town. And I thought, you know, I thought, what does that with me? You know, with me and my, and my weight. You know what I mean? I just want to lose the freaking weight. You know what I mean? And I, I couldn't see it. It was dead. It was dead to me, the big book. And the miracle is today, every pay, every word in that book is like 
a miracle to me. I mean, it speaks to me. It's so alive. It's so, like, in my heart. You know, it just, I love it. But, but yeah, but, boy, back then it was a whole different story. But um, I just did not get it. So I didn't get it. I wasn't ready. I had more eating to do. But I knew that's where I needed to be, even after I left. And um, so I went out there, and I you know, kept going, experimenting, and my life was um, unmanageable, you know, for the next, let's see, I came back in 97, so, you know, that was like 17 years, so uh, it was a mess, my life was completely unmanageable, Um, that poor husband of mine tried to help me, we were married 23 years, he tried to help me over and over again, and, you know, he didn't know he couldn't help me, nobody could help me, and, um, and so, anyway, finally, um, in 1994, I took my daughter and I left. And um, so, um, so I moved to Long Beach. My daughter and I, she was 18 then. We moved to Long Beach. And um, one of the first things I did was find out where the OA meetings were in Long Beach because I knew that's where I needed to be. Well, I thought about going into therapy instead. You know what I mean? Still looking for the stuff. For me, that was the softer, easier way, but, um, and, uh, but, you know, I was going through a divorce, I was 100 pounds overweight, drinking every day, didn't have a job, and, you know, going through a divorce, right, so I didn't really have the money to go to therapy, so, so I did find out where the OA meetings were, and, um, it was a Friday night meeting there, and, um, I didn't go for about a year, but I knew it was there, you know, so, um, so, uh, I had no life, of course. My life at this point in time was Drake Strawn, remote control in the hand, you know, and my food and alcohol, and that was it. And you know, I didn't. Somebody came over. I just white knuckled it till they left because I wasn't sharing my stuff with anybody. You know what I mean? And um, I just didn't. It was. It was. Um, yeah, it wasn't a pretty picture. And. Um, I could even barely get myself together to leave the house. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't buy new clothes that fit because I was so fat. And I'd wear these stained, you know, giant clothes. And um, anyway, so so that was it. So what happened was finally I did go to that meeting. And I went for about two years. I think it was on and off. And uh, I asked somebody to sponsor me, but I knew she wouldn't really make me do anything, and I didn't really do it. And I was trying to be abstinent and keep drinking, you know, all that. Um, So then finally, you know what? It was the grace of God. It is totally and completely the grace of God because I saw this one woman at that Friday night meeting, and she was the only woman in the room losing weight. And so God just gave me, you know, surrendered me to this whole thing. And I just went and asked her to sponsor me. And I was afraid to ask her because I wanted it, but I didn't want it. You know, and that whole thing of wanting it and not wanting it, I remember, I remember, so many times in therapy and all that, and and I'm not, you know, anti-therapy. If it works for you, that's great, and it does work for many things, but it never helped me with my food. But um, anyway, so 
But I remember people would say, because I'd be so desperate, I wanted to lose the weight. I couldn't stand living that way, that eating and being uh, obese, you know. And, um, and they'd say, well, you want to want to stop, you know. And that was not the truth. The truth of the matter was I wanted to stop with all my heart. I couldn't stop. And I couldn't stop because I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm an addict. I could not stop. And so, you know, for anybody who's struggling or newcomers or anybody, just keep coming back because if you're not here, you know, it's going to be harder to surrender to the program, you know. So I'm just grateful I kept coming back. So anyway, so I asked this woman (laughs) to please, you know, if she would sponsor me. And she said to me, well... Um, what's your food plan going to be? And I had no idea. So I just said, I don't know. What do you eat? You know. And so, and then she told me to call her at the same time every day. It was, I think, 6.30 at night. And she told me to, you know, get the, the 12 and 12. I already had the big book. And to start writing, you know. And she told me to, um, you know, start being of service in the meeting, start, you know, all that stuff, folding chairs, you know, putting chairs out, talking to newcomers, seeing where I could help somebody else and get out of my, you know, self-centered head. And so, um, anyway, and I remember thinking, forget that I was going to be able to call my food in every day. Just calling somebody at the same time every day was like, that's that's never going to happen, you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, the miracle is, I did. I called that woman with my food for seven years. And um, that was just, like I said, the total the grace of God. And so I still have pretty much that same simple food plan. Um, and... Um, you know, things have changed. Like, I became a vegetarian a couple of years ago, but that's not because of OA. That was for other reasons and um, things like that. So, but pretty much it's the same food plan. And then, um, but, you know, when I came, too, I had all kinds of, uh, you know, I wanted to be thin. I did. I didn't want to be 100 pounds overweight anymore. That's why I walked in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. Hello, because I didn't (laughs) want to be fat, you know. And so, but there were other things, too, that I have to say that, um, you know, I had health problems. I, being 100 pounds overweight, my feet hurt. My feet hurt before my feet touched the floor in the morning. Before I got out of bed in the morning, they felt like they were splitting down the middle. Um, I had high blood pressure. They were going to put me on blood pressure medication. And, you know, And that's just the beginning. You know, I'm sure many other things were going on that I wasn't even aware of yet. And um, so anyway, but but it's funny because it's almost like we're not supposed to talk about, you know, a way that we don't want to be fat anymore. Like we're not supposed to say we don't want to be uh, obese anymore. There's something wrong with that. And that's that's what got me in the door, you know here. So I'm grateful for that. But I got so much more. What I got when I got here, too, not even knowing it, was a plan for living. I had that big book in my house for years, for 17 years, that I never cracked open because, you know, war fever ran high. And so, um, and so, um, so, and I got a plan of living 
in the big book, in that very book. It was sitting in my bookshelf, a plan of living. Um, and all the answers are in that book. You know, all the answers to everything in my life today is in that book. And, you know, everything in my life that works today is a result of what I've learned in this program, all these principles that I learned in this program, to get out of myself, to not be so selfish and self-centered, you know, and to go do something for somebody else. And one of the first things, the thing that I really learned, the first place I learned to practice is these principles outside of these rooms was in the workplace. And so, like, about two months after I got abstinent, and sober, I um, got the job. Uh, I got a job at the company that I work for now. And my sponsor told me, just go, just show up, and shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Do what they tell you, and see where you can be of service to God and those around you. And so that first year, for the first year I worked in that job, I was in the bathroom. All the time praying. I was in there praying because I had to pray my way through the day because I didn't know how to function. You know, I was like, people are being mean to me. Well, they weren't being mean to me. You know what I mean? It was just me. And so um, I, I just... Uh, I didn't know how to do it, and I just asked God to help me. And that's the other thing, that powerlessness. I'm so grateful. You know, I am so powerless, and I know that today, and that's really being revealed to me, let me tell you, this last couple of weeks, and I've been telling the women I sponsor, you know, just remember you're, you're powerless today. Just tell yourself. And this morning one of them reminded me, and I'm so grateful. She said, I had a great day yesterday. I was just powerless all day long, you know. And she had such a great day. And then it came, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, already I forget. And that's one of the other things is I forget. I forget. And that's why I have to keep coming to these rooms and reading the big book and practicing the steps and, and reading the 12 and 12 because I forget. I'll forget in 10 minutes after I left here about God. You know, I forget constantly. And so I, um, I just, like I said, I, powerlessness has just been so revealed to me in other areas because the obsession for the food has been removed and, and, you know, the alcohol. But, you know, I find other things, you know, I can start trying to fill myself up with rather than God because, you know, I start thinking I have some power. And I always get into trouble, and it always gets painful. And then I remember, I am completely powerless, and God is so powerful. And I forget over and over how powerful God is. And I've seen it in my life and other people's lives all the time, and I still forget. You know, I still forget. So that's why I just have to, you know, keep coming back and doing all this stuff. Um, but anyway, so back at... In the workplace there, I just had to, um, I just kept showing up and, and doing what she said. And, um, and I got to learn to stop spinning the planet, you know. <laughs> and that plans and schemes, you know what I mean? And having every, keep everything spinning. And, um, and so because before I had to do that, I had to manipulate people, places, and things so they think what I wanted them to think, you know, about me. You know, because it was all about me. So I learned to know that they weren't always thinking about me. It wasn't about me. They were thinking about themselves. You know what I mean? And so um, 
And so I learned I could just go to work and do the best job I could do every day. And then I didn't have to do all that stuff. It was such a relief, such a huge relief, you know, like a burden was lifted, you know. But um, there was this one example I'll just share with you real quick about this program. Is I worked for um, the CEO of the company, and one of the guys who reported to him uh, was this guy who was, you know, I thought he was really mean to me. And he is kind of arrogant, but he, but right? So I just took it all personally. He hates me. I didn't know why he hated me. So he wasn't very nice to me. He was kind of mean and blah, blah, blah. And then I just kept, okay, just keep, just keep being of service. You know what I mean? Just don't take it personally. Just keep being of service. So, well, I did this for like two years with this guy. Just kept being of service. And one day he sends me this email, and he says, I just want to thank you for just your attitude. You're always, like, so helpful. You're always seeing where you can, you know, be helpful. And we've been, like, the best of friends ever since then, you know. But without this program, I never would have gotten there. And especially not two years, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have been able to sustain that. So, um, so it's just, like I said, the things that work in my life today completely and totally are a result of this program. And, um, you know, I do have a daughter, and she's uh, 30, almost 31. And she, of course, lives in upstate New York, so I always say, of course, she had to move 3,000 miles away. But, um, but the poor kid, you know, she was an only child, and I was drinking and eating through her until she was 20. And um, so... You know, we don't have a great relationship, but um, and sometimes it gets better, and then it gets rocky, and then. um, But my amends to her for the last ten years has been just to leave her alone, to mind my own business, love her unconditionally. Everything she calls me up and says, I just say, "That's great, honey." And she, you know, she got married, and then she got divorced, and I just said, well, honey, you know what, that's great. Whatever you have to do, I'm here for you, you know. And I couldn't have done that before because I loved her husband, you know what I mean. I would have been like, but because when I left my husband, my mother loved him, and it wasn't pretty. She was very angry at me for um, leaving him. But um, so I just knew, you know, I just thought, you know what, I don't have to live with him, you know. And so, but now what I do now is um, I call her once a week, and we, I just talk to her for five minutes. And then at five minutes, I look at the clock like this morning. I was driving. I got on the phone at 10.13, and then I saw 10.18, and I said, okay, honey, well, have a good day, you know, because I figure keep it short. And so that's my new, you know, thing with her is just tell her I love her. And um, But, you know, because, like I said, it wasn't pretty. It was bad. And um, she's still angry at me. And, you know, and I just know that it's in God's hands. All I'm doing is keeping my side of the street clean, loving her. And sometimes it gets painful and I get mad and I just want to, tell her off, you know, and I just don't do it, and um, sometimes it's really hard not to do it, but, um, so, you know, I know God's going to fix it or not, and like I said, I know how powerful God, God is all-powerful, and, um, you know, it's funny because recently I I just um, was reading something about these young girls, these young girls, um, 
teenage girls that have, this one girl had such a connection with God, and she said she just sees how God supports her every day in her life. And I just think, can you imagine that at 17, having that kind of a um, spiritual connection? But um, anyway, so I just think sometimes, you know, how different it would be, would have been. And so, um, but I'm grateful because I do have that today. I do have that spiritual connection. But like I said, I forget. I'll forget. I'll walk out of here in 15 minutes. I'll forget. You know, until something happens, and then it's, oh, yeah, it's in God's hands. So, um, so anyway, I, uh, oh, okay, well, so I think I'm almost done here. Um, but, um, like I said, I'm grateful, and my life today is I'm doing the same things I did um, you know, 10 years ago when I got here, which is I go to meetings, I'm of service. I sponsor people. I try and stay out of myself as much as humanly possible. Because I remember after a couple of years thinking, uh, when I first got here, I said to my sponsor, oh, no, I'm not self-centered. I put everybody else first. That's my problem. And she said, oh, more will be revealed. <laughs> and uh, it sure was. And then after, I really thought that, too, that I'm not selfish, you know. Uh, how can you say that? And um, I'm completely and utterly selfish and self-centered. And, you know, and it's uh, every day I'm dealing with that. And um, I remember after a couple years thinking, I think it's getting worse. Because I never used to be this selfish and self-centered. Well, of course I was. I was just shoving food down my throat. I didn't know it, but I was, absolutely. Anyway, so, but what I do is, you know, I sponsor women, and I love sponsoring women, especially newcomers, and I have some newcomers now that are so willing, and it's such, it's so great, you know, it's so great, I love it. And um, anyway, so, that's all, you know, I do start wanting other things, and then I just get directed back to the program, and I see, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be doing today, because if those other things were supposed to be in my life, guess what? They'd be in my life, you know, because God's all-powerful, and those things would be in my life. So, um, anyway, so I think my time is up, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you.